We sat there and we wept. We sat there and we wept. And our instruments, you know, our harps, yeah, we hung those on the willow trees. On those willow trees right there by the banks of the river. You remember that? Oh, they asked us to sing songs. They asked us to make a joyful noise. But how could we sing songs of joy in a foreign land? No, we couldn't. And so we sat there on the banks of that river and we wept. These are words written somewhere around 538 BCE, but these are words that speak to us yet. Calling out to us across the distance of some 2,500 years, these are the words of Psalm 137 a psalm born in and of the anguish of the Babylonian exile. And I open today's sermon with these words because as we begin this four-week sermon series today on the Babylonian exile, it's important that we understand from the beginning just how pivotal this experience of exile was for those who underwent it. It's important that we understand that this period of dislocation was not just a minor inconvenience in the ongoing life of the Jewish community. It's important that we understand that because of how traumatic and how disorienting this experience of dislocation was, the community that returned to Jerusalem from exile would never be the same again. Yes, for this sermon series to make any sense at all moving forward, it is imperative that we first understand that. But perhaps even more important than understanding that is first knowing what the Babylonian exile even is. And so before I get too much further ahead of myself this morning, let's take a quick moment to set the stage for all that will follow these next four weeks. Around the year 1000 BCE, the people of Israel established themselves as a monarchy. Before that time, Israel had simply been ruled by judges. But around 1000 BCE, the community decided it wanted to be a sovereign nation state like those that surrounded it. And this required a king. So the first king of Israel was King Saul, who ruled for 42 years until in disgrace he abdicated his position. And at that point, King David assumed the throne. This, by the way, was in and around 960 BCE. And this ushered in the golden age of Israel's monarchy. Now, David ruled for some 40 years, and then upon his passing, his son Solomon assumed the throne. And under Solomon's reign, Israel built a glorious temple in Jerusalem, an exquisite home for Yahweh, a place for the Israelite people to come and worship the Lord their God. And so for that moment, all was gravy. During this period, Israel was a dominant geopolitical force in the region. 
And the people in the kingdom all respected their king. But then upon Solomon's death, things began to fall apart. As often happens in situations like these, Solomon's son had a squabble over who should inherit their father's throne. And soon enough, that squabble led to a split within the nation of Israel itself. And so it was at this time that Israel was formally divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, known as Samaria, would be ruled by Jeroboam. And the southern, king known as, southern kingdom, known as Judah, would be ruled by Rehoboam. And if you find it confusing to remember the difference between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, well, welcome to the plight of all Intro to Old Testament Studies students. So the nation of Israel was now divided into two separate nations. And things went on this way for some 200 years. That is, until in 722 BCE, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. And with that conquest, the northern kingdom would never re-emerge. To this day, scholars do not know what became of those dispersed by the Assyrian conquest. The northern kingdom of Israel is one of those historical peculiarities lost to the sands of time. Meanwhile, however, Judah, the southern kingdom, the home of Jerusalem and the Grand Temple, the land from which King David originally hailed and the territory deemed most sacred, Judah, however, continued to hold strong as a nation state. And they did for another 125 years. But alas, in 597 BCE, the Babylonians, who by this point had supplanted the Assyrians as the dominant imperial force in the region, Alas, in 597 BCE, the Babylonians conquered Judah and thus began deporting many of its citizens to Babylon. And then finally, in 586, the conquest of Judah was made complete. For in that year, under the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar II, the Babylonians demolished the Grand Temple. They literally tore it to the ground. And from there, they took away the vast majority of those still remaining in Judah. And so it was that by 586 BCE, the people of Judah, those remaining members of the original Israelite community, that community that was originally formed during the exodus from Egypt 1,000 years earlier, so it was that by 586 BCE, those remaining members now found themselves dislocated from their homeland, cut off from all they knew and held dear, removed from their central place of worship and from the rhythms of their daily lives, forced now to live in exile in Babylon. And thus ends today's history lesson. Now for today's purposes, we will not look too closely at life in Babylon. For today's purposes, we will not look at the customs the exiles were forced to assimilate to or consider the particular experiences they underwent while there. We will no doubt talk about these things in weeks to come, but, but not today. No, for today, for our purposes, all we need to understand is this. 
and being removed from Judah and being suddenly cut off from the temple and from their daily rhythms of life and worship, the exiles were forced to grapple with an agonizing question. What does it mean to be Yahweh's people somewhere other than home? You see, for this community, its entire identity was wrapped up in its rhythms and its customs. Their commitment to the temple and to the agricultural cycle and to matters of everyday life, these things were not just sociological things to this community. These were theological things. All of these things and the way they did them and the way they understood them, all of this derived from their sense of chosenness by God. And the mark for them of their chosenness by God was their sovereignty and their freedom in the promised land, i.e. Judah. It had been that way for over 1,000 years, ever since the exodus from Egypt and their deliverance into the promised land, i.e. Judah. Remember, that had been God's original promise to them, that God would set them free from Egypt and that they would forever be God's people. That God would deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey, and there they would be his people and he would be their God. Remember all of that? Well, rest assured that they did. But here now, after some 1,000 years, suddenly they find themselves cut off from that land of milk and honey. Suddenly cut off from that glorious temple. And with it suddenly, seemingly cut off from the original promise. And so they were anguished and they were devastated. Yet anguished and devastated as they were, they were not yet willing to give up on their belief in God's love and God's commitment to them as a people. And so here now in this experience of exile, this once powerful community, this once grand community, This once self-secure, self-sustaining community suddenly finds itself grappling with these agonizing existential questions. What does it mean to be Israel now? How do we understand ourselves and our identity now? Who are we now? Again, we will not go into the particulars of the story today, but suffice it to say that over the course of these next 60 years, this experience in exile stretched this community and challenged this community and forced this community to expand its conception of who God is and how loving God is and how committed to them God is and how committed to all of humankind God is. And in this process, the community was therefore forced to expand its own identity, forced to reconceive its self-conception, forced to re-clarify its sense of purpose, forced to become something new, forced to become someone new 
In short, all we need to understand today is that between 597 and 538 BCE, the people of Israel did not just undergo an experience of exile. Instead, they were formed in and formed by their exile. Which brings us then to the point of this sermon series. Like Israel and Babylon then, so too are we ourselves now undergoing a period of profound dislocation. And like Israel then, this experience for us has been stressful and traumatic. Sure, we've not been forcibly removed from home by a vicious nation-state, but we have been forcibly removed from home by a vicious virus. And while we ought never to compare the experience of sitting at home watching Netflix to the experience of being made subject to an oppressive overlord, nonetheless, we, like Israel, find ourselves pining to return home, to return to our sanctuary, to return to our familiar rhythms and routines, pining for our exile to end. But meanwhile, we, like Israel, then know that we can't do anything to change our circumstance. Like Israel, we know that we are dealing with something far bigger and far more powerful than ourselves. And so, like Israel, then, we find ourselves now having to grapple with a profoundly agonizing existential question. What does it mean to be boulevard? somewhere other than Boulevard? How do we understand ourselves and our identity now? Who are we now? It is the contention of this sermon series that our answers to these questions, that the things we are learning about ourselves through this period of dislocation and that the things that we are learning about how to serve God somewhere other than at Boulevard, it is the contention of this sermon series that we are being formed through our experience of exile in the same way that Israel itself was formed through their experience of exile. It is the contention of this sermon series that like Israel, by the time we return to this sanctuary, to this beautiful place, to this place that we hold so dear, to this place of our familiar rhythms and routines, it is the contention of this sermon series that by that time we will return changed, enlarged, expanded. It is the contention of this sermon series that like Israel, while we do not like this experience and while we would never want to undergo it again, that nonetheless it is sharpening our sense of identity and it is helping us clarify our mission and our purpose as a community moving forward. Yes, it is the contention of this sermon series that like Israel, we are being formed in exile. Thus the title of this series.
Over the next three weeks, we'll look more closely at the parallels between our situation and the Babylonian exile. Over the next three weeks, we'll dig deep into the scriptures, looking at how Israel was challenged by the exile and how they were changed by it. Yes, over the next three weeks, we will drill down deep into this metaphor, using it as a tool for helping us understand ourselves and our situation and our future. We will do all of that. But for today, we will simply note the potency of the metaphor and then conclude where we first began, which is to say I will now draw us to a close by simply saying, Our experience of dislocation now is quite resonant with Israel's experience of dislocation then, and we have so much to learn from it. Like Israel then, we too, when we think of this place, when we think of this beautiful sanctuary and of the rich history it holds and of all we're cut off from when we're not able to gather here, Like Israel, when we think of these things, we weep. When we think of these things, we too feel as if our harps have been hung on the willows. For how, we wonder, can we sing songs of joy when we are so far removed from home? Right here by the river, we sit and weep. Yes, we sit and weep. But that's why I close now not with these words from Psalm 137, but instead with words from the prophet Isaiah. Writing at a time when the Israelites' dislocation seemed most acute, when their despair felt most profound, when their experience had ceased being novel and had become seemingly permanent, writing at a time when all hope seemed to be lost. Just then the prophet Isaiah spoke these words to that community on behalf of God, saying, take comfort, my people, for this is not forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, that is my promise of love and commitment to you, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. And so it is that Isaiah himself then goes on to say to the community, Do you not remember? Have we not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He gives power to the faint and he strengthens the powerless. Have we not heard that? So take comfort, my people, he says, for those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those are the words that the prophet Isaiah said to this community in the depths of their anguish and despair. Yes, these beautiful words. These inspiring words. These words that remain so familiar to us today. These words were originally spoken to the exiles about the exile. 
Do not give up amid this situation, these words were saying. This will not be forever, these words were saying. Trust in God's original commitment to our community, these words were saying. Believe that the same God who called us into being in the first place is not done with us yet, these words were saying. Take comfort, my people, these words say, for this is not forever. These words bolstered Israel's spirits, and these words became the words that sustained and steadied them throughout their period of exile. For the community in exile chose to trust these words. And so by the time they were freed from exile in 538 BCE, it was in large part due to the comfort that they derived from these words. These words found right here in Isaiah chapter 40. And so as we embark on this sermon series together now, and as we continue to grapple with our own sense of dislocation and despair, let us derive comfort from these ancient words ourselves. Let us remember that the coronavirus withers and that COVID fades, but that the word of the Lord lasts forever. Let us remember that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, that we shall mount up on wings like eagles. Let us remember that this is not forever, but that God's promises to us and to this community at Boulevard are. And then comforted by these words, let us wait with eager anticipation For that coming day when we too will be set free from exile and permitted to return here to this place that we hold so dear. Yes, let us take comfort in these words and let us trust that while this experience is agonizing and unwanted, that nonetheless we are being shaped and changed for the better by it. Yes, let us take comfort in these words and let us trust that even as we sit by these rivers and weep, we as Boulevard Baptist Church are all the while being formed for the future right here in the midst of exile. Amen.